Um, how many of you would like to see our student ministry impact uh, be impacting close to 50 uh, kids for both middle school and high school? How many would like to see that happen? Okay. Well, uh, for us to be able to reach that goal, what we're uh, kind of developing is something that we call the fifth quarter. And uh, basically, on August 28th, we're inviting all of the high school students and middle school students uh, or high school students from the county to come and to be a part of a fifth quarter. So many of them will go to a football game. And then after the football game, uh, they'll be able to come here to the Y, and we're going to have all kinds of fun stuff for them to do. There's going to be karaoke, there's going to be basketball, there's going to be food, there's going to be all kinds of fun things for them to participate in on the 28th. So what we need are volunteers. Now, so far, we have 20 volunteers. I'm one of them, so I will be here from 9 until midnight. You do not have to be here from 9 till midnight. All you have to do is be here for one hour. You can choose any hour that you want, but we want to encourage you uh, to do that so that we can impact uh, the lives of high school students in our county. Now, some of the jobs that you might have is you simply make sure that Jack and Jill don't go up a hill and swap spit together, okay? That happens in that age. So that's one of the things that we have to make sure doesn't happen. So you could be a security person, or you could help with games, or if you like karaoke, you can do the karaoke deal. Uh, it really doesn't matter which one you want to choose, um, but we want to encourage you to do that. Again, I'm going to be there, and I hope that you will as well, because we really do want to reach out to our high school students, right? Right. Okay. Well, let's sign up. The way you can do that is by going to the resource table and you can sign up or you can go online to our website, thejar.org, and uh, there's some information that you can just click on the upcoming event and you can sign up right there. Uh, if you want, you can do that right now uh, while you're sitting there. So I hope that many of you will do that. Well, let's pray and then we'll jump into our teaching this morning. Let's pray. Loving God, more than anything else, we want to hear from you this morning. Through your Spirit, speak to us. Help us today, God, to learn how to overcome our anxiety and to fill our minds with your peace. We want to learn how to stay in the flow of your Spirit. So show us how to do that, so that your name would be made great. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this whole summer, we've been in this series called Flow. And this morning, I want to begin by kind of having a do-it-yourself kind of review. And this is the way we're going to do it. I'm going to put up an image here in just a little bit of some of the different things that I've taught on throughout this summer. And then I'm going to invite you to turn to the person beside you and take just 20 seconds and try to explain the image. 
Now, if you're brand new and you have no idea, or maybe you've missed a Sunday or two, uh, no big deal. Allow the other person to explain it for you. And everything I share, though, we have covered this summer. So not only do I stand up here and speak, but I hope you retain things. Like retention is really important. So that's hopefully what uh, will happen here in just a section. In, a, in just a second. Now, if you do real good, I'm going to uh, real well. If you do real well, I'm going to cut the sermon a little bit short so that you can get to breakfast early. If you do exceptionally well, we're not going to have a sermon at all. Derek's going to come up, he's going to sing, and we'll be done. If you flunk, you might want to order Jimmy John's because we're going to be here for a while, okay? So it's really up to you. So let me give you a grade on uh, each of this. The way I'll grade it is by how much noise I hear. So here is our first image. So I'd like you to take 20 seconds looking at this image and explain it to the person beside you or the people beside you. Go. Okay, okay. So we've been talking about this image all summer long. And what we've been talking about is that there is this promised life that all of us are trying to reach and be a part of. In fact, in, in the New Testament, it says that the flow of God is to not just lead you to nowhere, but it's to lead you to a promised life. But... For many of us, we would say that our lives fall very short of the promised life, and we get stuck in this thing to the right called reality. And between what is real and what is the promised life, there is this gap that takes place. And we talked about the different things that people try to do to fill this gap. They work harder. They try more. They do things to get connected closer to God. But then we talked about how Jesus expressed that when he came, he bridged this gap through his spirit as he left his spirit. And the Holy Spirit flows then so that we can leave the reality and we can enter into this promised life. And there is a river of his Holy Spirit that is constantly leading us to a more abundant kind of life. Now, Jesus put it this way, and this is our scripture for the whole series, and let's read it out loud together. Let's read it out loud together. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and stays in the flow, there is this promised life, there is this abundant life that you and I can live. Now, then we went on and we talked about another image, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I'll give you 20 seconds to explain that to the people around you. So go. 
Okay. Uh, even if you're new, you might have got that one right. You would have said, that's a wave. So if you did, you get an A. And throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a river of life. That when we tap into God's Spirit, that there is this life that fills us. And we use an image of surfing, that as we're on the wave, that sometimes as we go through life, we mess up, we fall down, we wipe out. But the good news is, is who is it again that creates the wave? God. And He is a wave maker. And if you wipe out on one wave, you simply get back up again and another wave is coming and another wave and another wave and another wave of His grace comes so that we can live within the love and flow of His Spirit. And my job and your job is simply not to get in the way of the flow. It has nothing dependent upon you or I. It's just not getting in the way of the flow of His Spirit. And then we talked about how if someone chooses this way of life, of being a fully devoted follower of Christ, that if a person chooses that, they're going to put off some things and they're going to put on certain other things. And we took this concept of putting off things and compared it to a dirty rag. And we came up with this kind of phrase, uh, this acronym called RAGS. R-A-G-S. And that becomes kind of the focus of what we want to put off. And so I'm not going to tell you what each of those letters stand for, but now within your groups, what I'd like you to do is to go ahead and explain what does the R stand for, what does the A stand for, what does the G stand for, what does the S stand for. So go. Okay, it sounds like you're a little bit quieter on this. It would be very interesting to see what you came up with on this, all right? Well, let's work through this together. The R stands for what? Resentment. This mismanaged anger that we have. We want to put that off. Now, the A stands for what? Anxiety. Exactly. It's fear. We want to put off anxiety and put on his peace. And the G stands for what? Greed. Yeah, greed. That we want to, this, this desire to want more and more and more, we want to put that off. And then finally, the S stands for what? We got worse as it went on, you know what I mean? Uh, some of you are like, you haven't taught on that yet, dude, you know? Uh, yeah, it's coming up. So superiority, that sense of self-righteousness, okay? And I want you to know that I'm really, really serious about us becoming a church that knows how to put off things so that we can put on the better things. And we want to put off these things so that we can put on the character of Christ. We really do expect that over time, people in the jar don't look the same way that they did a year ago. Because they're putting off some things and they're putting on the character of Christ. 
Now, we don't want to be legalistic about it, but we want to challenge people to live in the flow and the character of Christ all the time and become committed to growing spiritually in our lives. So, how did you do on this DIY, do-it-yourself kind of review? Well, I hate to tell you, you did not do exceptionally well. You did. No, yeah, come on. You did. I mean, truthfully, you did. But, uh, you know, maybe another time you will. And we'll just, like, blow off the message and we'll just go home. You know, we won't even worry about it. But today is not that day. Uh, It's not. So what I want to look at this morning is this issue of anxiety that affects all of our lives. And I want us to focus in on a particular guy by the name of Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And he learned how to put off anxiety and to put on peace. And the way we're going to do this is by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which are two of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible on overcoming anxiety. And this is what Paul writes. You can look in your program or be on the side screen. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. Now that is an amazing statement. Especially when you think about all the things that Paul should have been anxious about. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then there is this promise that is given. That if you do this, that it's not about trying harder, but if you just allow yourself not to be anxious about things. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says... Don't be anxious about anything. Now, if you're serious about this, if you really want to overcome anxiety in your life, there are a couple of pieces of equipment that you need. So if you're going to overcome anxiety, there are a couple things that you're going to need. The first thing that you're going to need is a problem. Okay? So that's kind of your first fill in there. You're going to need a problem problem. Because if you never have a problem, you never have the opportunity to not worry about it. Let me say that again. If you never have a problem, then you cannot ever learn how to not worry about it. And you can never grow. So how many of you, just by a show of hands, at least have one problem or you know where you could find a problem? Anybody? Oh, good. I don't have to call you liars today. Good. So we all have at least one problem. How many of you are sitting by a person who looks like they have a problem? Okay? How many of you are sitting by the problem? Yeah, exactly. Now what I want to do is kind of give you an equation on worry. Because we're tempted to think this, folks. That it is our problems... That cause us to worry. So if God wants me to worry less, what God should do is simply give me less problems. 
If he gave me less problems, then I wouldn't have to worry so much. But worry actually doesn't work that way. There's a Harvard researcher, a Christian, a guy by the name of Ed Hollowell, and he came up with this equation on worry and what determines that factor in anybody's life. And here it is. It's on the side screen. An increased vulnerability plus a decreased power equals increased worry. An increased sense of vulnerability. In other words, I'm going to get struck down. I'm vulnerable. Something's going to happen to me. And a decreased sense of power that I don't have control over this situation. That what it equals is increased worry in your life. Worry, folks, is not a direct product of your circumstances. It is a direct product of your beliefs. Let me say that again. It's not a direct product of your circumstances. It's a direct product of your beliefs about how vulnerable and how much power I have access to. This equation is the reason why I think it explains why sometimes people's circumstances can be like really, really, really good. And they can be like, oh, things are going so great. But some of those people whose circumstances in life are going really well, they worry about things at a greater rate than people who have a lot of problems. For example... Did you realize that half of the world's population lives on $2 or less a day? Do you have problems? Do you live on $2 or less a day? No. But many times we think, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. We're not looking for how we're going to get the $2 to survive. This is why people who have a lot of money, sometimes they worry a whole lot more than people who have very little. Or why people who are going up the ladder of success and they're like getting promotion after promotion after promotion, they actually get scared and they're worried and they're constantly thinking, this time I'm going to fail. This time I'm not going to make it. And they carry the weight of worry of their job constantly around them into all kinds of different places through their day. And they worry about their job so much more than a person who walks in at an entry-level place. And if we're not careful, worry can be debilitating. Worry can paralyze people to where they don't go forward. So I want us to look at this statement from Paul in Philippians 4.13. Now one of the things that you have to realize is that Paul has been ridiculed, he's been made fun of, he's been beaten, and now he's been thrown into jail. And yet at the core of his being, like in his belly, there are rivers of life that are flowing out even though he's sitting in the slammer. Paul says this, let's read it out loud together. Let's all read this out loud together. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many things? How many? All things. All things. And for if you're a chronic worrier, 
If you're a chronic worrier, like you worry a lot, you should write this down right now because it's not in your notes. If you can't necessarily write it all down, write Philippians 4.13 down so that you have it with you. And if you've never memorized the scripture verse, this week or this month or this year, make a commitment, if you're a chronic worrier, that you're going to memorize this verse. Because it should be tattooed on your brain because worry is going to intercept it. Paul says, whatever I have to face, I will face. You see, when you carry this conviction inside of you, there is simply nothing that can threaten the peace that will guard your hearts and minds. Because it's not about how good or how bad the circumstances are in your life. So the first thing you need to overcome anxiety is you need a problem. The second thing you need to overcome anxiety is you need a renewed mind. A renewed mind. Paul is saying in this particular passage that it is possible to have the peace of God in you. And this is what's really cool. He doesn't say peace from God like you have to do something to get it from Him, that through His Spirit, a part of this promised life is that the peace of God actually can be in you. And you can walk through your day, regardless of the circumstances, how good or bad they are. You can walk through your day in the flow with peace. You can have this guarding of your mind. It's interesting that Paul says, guard your hearts and minds. Why does he use that word guard? Well, I think he uses that word guard because he's in the slammer. And there are guards around him and there are guards everywhere. It was a word based for soldiers. A whole garrison of them would stand guard to protect the city, to protect People from the prison. Now let me give you kind of a, a verbal picture from our day about God, what God wants to do for your heart and your mind. A verbal picture of what God wants to do for your heart and for your mind. How many of you, just by a show of hands, have ever crossed the border from the U.S. to Canada or the U.S. to Mexico and back? Anyone ever done that in their life. Okay, several of you. Well, since 9-11, uh, the security checkpoints at these borders have become ruthless on how long it takes to get across. A few years ago, I was with a mission trip team that went down to Tijuana, Mexico. And on the way back, we got in line to get ready to cross the U.S. border, and we waited two hours in a hot van that didn't have air conditioning with 15 people in it. You can imagine the smells that are in there. And we're sitting there waiting for two hours to get there. And the leader, who was from East Los Angeles, he was born in Mexico and then he became a U.S. citizen. He said that when the Border Patrol guy comes up to our van and he opens up the van, I want everyone to be quiet. And he said when he points to each one of you and he asks, citizenship, I just want you to say United States. So we wait two hours. The Border Patrol comes, just like this guy. He pulls up, opens up the door. He looks in, and then he starts asking 
citizenship, United States, citizenship, United States. It goes all the way through until it gets to this high school kid named Jonathan who was from Orlando, Florida. And they pointed to him and they said, citizenship. And he said, I'm a registered illegal alien. Seriously, I'm not kidding you. What an idiot, right? I am a registered illegal alien. Well, immediately they stopped everything at that point. They got all 15 of us out. They looked through everything in the van. They opened up every bag and they took Jonathan away into this little room. And I went up to the leader during this time, and since I'm such a compassionate pastor, I said, let's leave Jonathan in the little room. (laughs) Like, let's get back in the van and let's just go across and we'll leave him here. Well, two hours later, after they get everyone out of the van, back in the van, we cross the U.S. border. And the first thing we do, we kick Jonathan out of the van. Not really, we didn't do that. But I'm telling you folks, when you go across that border, they do not joke around. The security is ruthless because they're not going to let anyone into the U.S. who might be a threat. And the screening process for each person is heightened. If they see anything that might be destructive, They will take care of it. And those of you who have crossed the border, you know, you know that. Folks, this is precisely the picture that Paul is trying to give to you. He says, here's your mind. But I want you to know, there is a guard. There is someone who will guard your hearts and your mind. And it is my spirit. Paul says that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is now what's going to happen in your innermost being. All the time through the flow of the Spirit. Because it's not just about trying harder, but the peace of God actually through the Holy Spirit can be in you because His Spirit lives in you. And it will stand guard. It will come and it will guard your mind in your heart. And as we've seen together, the biggest thing is right between your ears on whether or not you're going to live in a spiritual life, the promised life, or you're going to live in spiritual death. And what goes in the mind, what goes on in there, determines what kind of life you're going to lead. Now let me visually kind of take you through this process. So I did it verbally, now visually. Now, what is this a picture of? Your brain. (laughs) That's right. Some of you who are new, though, are looking at that right now going, I don't know what they're talking about in this church. Okay, a few weeks ago, I tried to draw a brain. That was the best thing that I could draw, okay? So not so good, but that's it. So let's put up a better picture of the brain. I know some of you have been waiting for this. Now, here's your brain. And there are positive and negative thoughts that are constantly going on in your brain spiritually trying to take a part of your life. There are positive thoughts like this. God loves me. 
God is with me. I'm never alone. God will guide me. I can do anything with God's power. And there might be many, many other thoughts, good, positive thoughts. But there are also negative thoughts that are trying to enter into your brain as well. Like, I'm not confident. I can't handle this. I'm all alone. I'm inadequate. People may not like me. And so the reality is, you have this brain with all of these thoughts that are flowing within it. But Paul says that if you surrender to Christ, he will actually put a guard over your brain. That will guard you. And it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guard you and your mind. And when these destructive thoughts try to come in, when those anxious thoughts try to infiltrate your mind, the Holy Spirit will help you to discern them. And rather than allowing them to control everything that's going on in your mind, He'll give you a prompting to remind yourself, God, I'm not going to hand this over to you. I'm going to hand it over through you to your Spirit. I'm going to hand over these negative thoughts that I have to you. I'm going to trust you more than this negative thought. And I'm going to breathe in. I'm going to take in these positive ones. And although it takes some time, and believe me, it does, to capture every thought and make it obey Jesus Christ, it takes some time for your brain to finally get to that point of saying these things. But once you do it, you actually are in control. And you train your brain rather than allowing those thoughts to control you. And that's what Paul did. Now let's look at the next passage in Philippians 1, in verse 12. Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, here's the situation. When he says in verse 12, he says these words, and we can go back to it if we can go back to verse 12. It says, I want you to know what has happened to me. So the question becomes, well, what's happened to Paul? Why is he saying this? Well, the reason he's saying this is he's referring to the fact that he has been arrested and convicted and he's been thrown into jail by the government of Rome, the biggest government in the world at that day. So he's writing this letter. That's what Philippians is. It's simply a letter that he's writing from a Roman prison back to this town called Philippi that he started a church. And he writes this letter and he says, hey, I want you to know this is what's happened to me. And that's not like a big shock to the people of Philippi. Because the very first time that he ever came to Philippi, guess what happened to him? He got arrested. He was out and he was teaching and preaching the word. And some wealthy people decided that wasn't a good thing. And so they arrested him. They beat him. They stripped him down. 
they flogged him, which was basically, they would whip him, but on the ends of the whip would be like rocks or pieces of metal that would dig in and would skin him. It would take the skin off of his back. And then, after that was done, he was thrown into prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had been arrested and stripped and beaten and flogged and then thrown into prison, I think I would have some anxiety. Like, I might be a little bit anxious about a thing or two. And there would be like these thoughts of worry that would start forming in my mind. But notice what happens. Paul is in this Roman jail with a guy by the name of Silas. And we learn about this in Acts 16, 25. As he's writing this letter, this is what it says. About midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, they have been stripped, they have been stripped, they have been beaten, they have been thrown into prison. And in the midst of all of this, they become directed to doing two things. One, they start praying, and the second thing is they start worshiping God. <laughs> And I love this next little part. It says, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Like they had a choice. I mean, they're all like, you know, chained to each other. They're chained to the guards. Everyone's there. No one can do anything. No one got beat as bad as Paul and Silas. And I guess if they want to pray and sing and talk about this God, we'll just have to do it because it's not like we can change the channel. I've visited prisons before. The biggest thing that people struggle with is what's on the television. But if you don't have it, and people start singing and praying, you just listen to them. I love that. Now, let me make an observation here. Researchers, I did some research this week, and this is what researchers say. That when an anxious thought or a worried thought hits your mind, you have a one-minute window to cut it out. That's it. And those of us who are really chronic worriers, who are filled and wrestle with anxiety, when anxiety hits, it's like tentacles that wrap around a tumor. It's like you have cancer, and you have these tentacles of anxiety that wrap around. And it can spend days there, or weeks or maybe even hours. But if you don't do something in the first minute, folks, it's just going to grow more and more and more. You actually have to do something within a minute, or you could sit in that anxiety and worry for a very long time. So the question becomes, well, what should I do? An anxious thought comes, I'm worried about something, what should I do? What can I do when anxious thoughts start to stir in my mind? Well, we need to do exactly what Paul did. Because if he's gone through all of this and he's simply praying and worshiping, maybe we should follow what he did. And all these are in your outline. But here's the first thing. You need to pray out loud. Now, you might not want to do this like right in the middle of your evaluation with your boss. You know what I mean? 
But you should go somewhere and you should pray out loud. In other words, and that's the reason why. Because when you start praying words, your ears hear them and you start feeling more calm. And you think, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And prayer, more than anything else, folks, will help you to put off anxiety and to put on peace. Here's another thing. Take decisive action. Do something. Do anything. But don't just sit there and passively allow these thoughts of fear to consume you more and more and more. Do something. Sing some worship songs. Again, don't do it maybe right in the middle of work, but sing a song. If you're in your car, it's a great place. Or go to the restroom, put on some headphones. Here's another one. Talk to another person. Don't talk to the person who makes you anxious. Hey, can you help me a little bit? Oh, my word, that is bad. That's really bad. You're screwed, dude, you know? No. Talk to another follower, someone who could help you through that. And then finally, just cry out to God. Just tell Him exactly what you're feeling because He hears our every cry. Folks, this is a choice that you have. You're either going to panic or you're going to pray. You're either going to worry or you're going to worship. And the thing is, is the choice is up to you. But you can't panic and pray at the same time. You cannot worry and worship At the same time, you have to choose. And here's the truth. There's only one person who can imprison your mind. Anyone want to take a guess who that is? It's you. It's me. Nobody else. Now back to Paul. He had the equipment. He had a problem. Then he had a renewed mind in Christ. The problem is, it kind of has that pattern. It just keeps on going. You don't just have a problem, right? All of you wouldn't sit there and go, oh, I only have one problem. No, you have another problem. And so did Paul. Look at this problem that came down the pike for him. In verse 15 in Philippians chapter 1, it says this. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And then here's the great question. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, do you see what's going on here? Paul's in the slammer. He's in prison. But Paul never saw himself as a prisoner to Rome. He sits in his cell, and this is what he thinks. The Romans believe that I'm their prisoner, but they actually have it turned around. It's backwards. I am a prisoner of Christ, and now that I'm in jail, I have a 24-hour opportunity because I'm chained to these guards and to these other prisoners to share Christ with them. 
You see, Paul realized something that you and I don't always see is that when we're going through problems and he's going through this huge problem, he has a captive audience. They're not going to leave anywhere. They're not going anywhere. And there's this peace and boldness that flows through him to the guards and to the other prisoners. But it's outside of the prison, Paul says, there's a problem going on. And what's the problem? People were apparently trying to make Paul look bad. If he's so close to Jesus, if he's so close to God, why is he in prison? And we're more successful, and these people were preaching and teaching while Paul was the jailbird. But in verse 18, he asks a question that gives us great wisdom into his mind. What's the question? What does it matter? Now I'm going to pause here for a moment because this is the question that chronic worriers always forget to ask. The two words that kill chronic worriers more than any other are these two words. What if? What if? What if something goes wrong? What if something bad happens? What if something takes place that I can't control? And of course it might. And you can spend all of those negative possibilities. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And any of them might come true. Folks, there are no guarantees. What if the car breaks down? What if I lose my job? What if I prepare a message and it goes really bad? And Paul's question in verse 18 in the Greek is a wonderfully short phrase. The Greek is the very initial language of the New Testament. And it's only two words. It's only five letters. But this is what it is. Tigar. Tigar. And it almost sounds exactly like the English phrase, big deal. Tigar. Big deal. What if some stuff does go wrong? Big deal. What if the car breaks down? Big deal. I can get another car. What if I lose my job? Big deal. I've been wanting to get out of that place for a long time anyway. God might have something better for me. What if my pastor gives a bad message? Big deal. You can send him to Hawaii and he can recuperate there for as long as you need him to. You know? No, not a problem. Paul says, what if I'm persecuted, arrested, tried, convicted, stripped of my freedom, beaten in prison, and have rivals running around devoting themselves to ruining my reputation? If all that happens, big deal, big deal. Because my goal in life is not to get a 100% approval rating from all the people in my life. It doesn't matter at all. These people can't stop God. Nobody can stop God, Paul says. So this week, this is your homework assignment. When you are tempted to worry about something, I want you to remind yourself, is this really a big deal? In the scope of things, is this really a big deal? My car broke down in South Carolina. It's still there right now. While I was there in the midst of this frustration, this thought came to my mind. 25,000 people will die today due to lack of drinking water or Treatable diseases that other places can't treat. Is my car breaking down a big deal? No. 
So today, the problem is that for some of you, if you're going to be able to say that this week, you need to be able to deal with the big deal that you have going on right now. Because the reality is, today, right now, where you sit, you have a big deal going on in your life. And if you're going to be able to overcome anxiety and worry about whatever that big deal is, you have to be able to believe when you go through this week that you can say it's not a big deal. But right now, it's a big deal. And some of you have some big deals and you need some big prayers for that. So this week, I've been fighting with God on how we were going to close. And He won. And so this is how we're going to do it. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to break up into groups of two or three or four people. So just the people around you, just two or three or four. If you're new today and you're like, this is foreign to me, you can just sit in your seat. It's not a problem. But otherwise, two or three or four people, or you could join them. So if you would, go ahead, wherever you're at, if you have to move a little bit, just don't be by yourself as you're going through this, again, unless you're brand new. So break up two or three. And this is what I'd like you to do. At an appropriate level, whatever that is, how well you know the person, I'd like you to be able to share with that person what is the greatest worry that you have in your life right now? What is the biggest worry that you have? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relational deal. Maybe it's a friend in your life. Maybe it's a worry about your kids. Maybe you're worried about your marriage. Maybe there's a relationship worry. Maybe it's a financial worry. Maybe it's a temptation thing. It really doesn't matter what it is. The reality is we need each other. And these people around you are going to be for you. So just say whatever you're tempted to worry about, whatever that big thing is that you're worrying about. And then what I would encourage you to do is to pray for whoever that person or those couple people around. And you're like, I don't pray out loud. Well, this is how easy it can be. Is that you can simply say, my name's Joe and I'm worried about my son. And the next person can say, God, be with Joe. Help him to overcome the worry about his son. And that's it. So we're going to turn down the lights here so that you have a moment to just be able to share what your biggest worry is and then take a moment of prayer.
Okay, you can uh, finish your prayer. If you haven't got to that point yet, if you can just pray for whatever that worry is. Okay, if you would, I'd like you to uh, stand. And this is the way we're going to close. I'd like you to imagine that all of the different worries that we have or the anxieties that everyone shared. Right now, we're going to surrender every single one of them up to God. We're just going to like give a whole big worry wart gift to God. And God says, I'll take it. I'll take it. So let's surrender that to him and let's give to him then the trust in our heart to believe that we don't have to walk through this day or this week dealing with that.